Great. This morning I want to uh, culminate, finish, uh, conclude the series, the three-part series uh, that we've been going through on. It's called, titled, I Am With You Always. Amen. God is with you always. He never abandons you. He never rejects you. He never ever lets you go. Amen. Love of God towards us is not dependent by our behavior. You might hear people say, righteousness is not earned by actions. The love of God is not dependent towards us by our behavior. I behaved well today, so I'm loved by God. Next week, I don't behave well, so God doesn't love me. That is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says that His love for you and I is unconditional. And it's actually love of God that transforms lives. Amen? It's the love of God. I didn't give my heart to God because of the fear that He's going to punish me. Now, although that is true, that if I reject God, that if I deny God and His existence and reject Jesus Christ, yes, there is hell. But that is not for me. But if I reject it, yep, God will judge us and there will be uh, judgment one day where all that rejected Jesus will go to hell, which is sad, but that is the truth. But God's desire is that we all follow God and love Jesus Christ. Now, I gave my heart to God because He kept loving me the more I was rejecting Him. He kept pursuing me the more I was running away from Him. And I'm sure you can all agree to that. There are times where you feel that God... You've been running away from God, but God's love is always running after you. The Bible actually says in the book of Romans, it says that it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. Amen. So we need to understand that God is good and His love for us is good. And no matter where you are right now, know this, that God is with you and He will be with you always. Amen. The only place God cannot be in is when we sin. Sin and God don't go together. Okay, I want to help that very clear. God doesn't partake in sin. But otherwise, He is with you. He will be with you forever. So, we've been talking about this, and I've talked on the last two weeks, I said, Number one was um, that the, go- the power is the gospel. The gospel has the power to transform lives. Amen? We don't need to have the power. The power is in the Word. The power is Jesus Christ. Amen? And last week, I looked at partnering with the Holy Spirit. So the power is in the gospel. Now, last week I looked at partnering with the Holy Spirit. 
What does that mean? That when I submit myself and allow God to start minister to me and speak in and through me, I am partnering with Him. And when I partner with Him, the power of God is activated within me and it starts flowing through me. So that's partnering with the Holy Spirit. We talked about how Peter, being a coward, afraid, rejected, denied, even his association with Jesus Christ for three times, when the Holy Spirit came upon him, amen, and when the Holy Spirit came upon him, he stood up, not counting his own life, he stood up and preached the gospel. And 3,000 people on that day, the Bible declares, were added to the church, and that was the birth of the New Testament church. Now, you may think we are a Pentecostal church. We believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. We believe in the existence of the Holy Spirit. We believe in the move of the Holy Spirit. We believe in being led by the Spirit of God. But we got to also remember the Holy Spirit is not our personal assistant. Amen. He is not our personal assistant. Lord, I'm going to the mall. Please give me a park right close to the doors of the mall. Oh, hallelujah, God's available to me. He is not a personal assistant. He doesn't exist for us. We exist for Him. I want you to understand this. And the Holy Spirit leads, the Bible says, He leads and guides you and I into all truth, which is the Word of God. Okay? So the Holy Spirit doesn't exist to entertain us. He doesn't exist to please us. He exists to heal us. He exists to uh, transform us. He exists to empower us. He exists to get us ready for His will. Amen. And I uh, said it in the past. I want to remind us again. You know, when the Holy Spirit comes, there's this amazing things have happened. I mean, Peter said, Peter said this. He said, when they, when they thought um, the, 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 the people... Uh, on the day when Peter and the disciples were in the upper room and the Holy Spirit came and they were speaking in tongues and that was very new for everybody back then. They were speaking in tongues and they were speaking in other different languages and people that heard uh, and they said, wow, these guys look like they're drunk. And Peter, I, I, I find it quite funny. Peter gets up, he goes, we are not drunk, it's only 9 a.m. I mean, come on, if it was 12 or 6 you know, it's so questionable. You know, that's how I read it. But Peter specifies, it's only 9 a.m. We're not drunk. You know, but it's, it's funny, right? <laughs> if it's 6 p.m., yeah, 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 sure. Yeah. He says, in 9 a.m., we're not drunk. It's the power of God that we've been ministered by, we've been touched by, and is flowing in and through our lives. So, my thing is always, I look at it as going, okay, when God moves, people move. There might be different manifestations. There might be different, uh, 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 what do you call, how the Lord moves. The Bible says, judge people by their fruit. Right? It's always what happens after the manifestation. What's the fruit like? Now, I can talk about just alone, the, uh, alone on this topic for another 45 minutes, but I'm not doing that. But what I'm trying to say is, 
partner with the Holy Spirit, allow God to move in your life and through your life, and as He moves, number one person that needs to change is me and you. Amen? Before I talk about change in you, I need to change my heart. Before I talk about revival in this nation, I need revival in my heart. Amen. Before I start judging the nation, let the Lord judge my heart. Come on. I don't know if you follow the government news and the Ministry of Education. Uh, I couldn't put it up there because I took some wise advice and they said, don't put it on the screen, but it's on Instagram under education, G-O-V-T-N-Z, all in one word. There's a slide there, and it's got some interesting things about, um, about what our education system is training and equipping our young children. It's not good. It's not good. And uh, it's confusing. It's, it's actually disturbing. But this is our government. Now, when I read that, I was angry in my heart, but then I felt, no, I need to stand and pray. Look, church, the Holy Spirit has come to lead us into all truth so that we can stand in the truth and declare His love, His peace, His grace, His mercy, His forgiveness, His reconciliation, His salvation into this nation. Amen. So this morning I want to culminate the series with number three called Prophetic or Being Led by the Spirit in sharing the gospel. We need the Holy Spirit being led by the Spirit to share the gospel because the question is, I want to talk to Him about Jesus, but what do I say? The question is, I know that He needs Jesus, she needs Jesus, but how do I approach that person? The question is, I want to see them saved, but I just don't know what to say and when to say and how to say. Who's had those questions? I've had those questions. I still have those questions. But that's why it's important to be led by the Spirit of God. Because those that are led by the Spirit are called the sons and the daughters of God. Amen. We don't need to stand with a, on, the, on the roadside with a placard saying, now if you go to Beehive and stand there and go, you will go to hell. Oh, who are you to say that? It's God who is to judge. But you can stand on the ground and say, this ground is holy. And I declare this ground for Jesus. You have the power to do that. Amen. So, we're talking about being led. Prophetic. Prophetic is fantastic being led by the Spirit of God. First week, I talked about the why. I gave a lot of scriptures and I told, I, I shared that with you, why we need to share the gospel. If somebody comes and says to you, why do you believe in what you believe? Would you say, because my mom and dad dragged me to church, that's why I believe in it? Wrong answer. Why do you believe what you believe? Oh, because I've been drummed into it. I've been, uh, what do you call, trained to think that way? Wrong answer. You and I need to know why we believe in what we believe. Why do we stand on this truth? Why? If you cannot answer that with, with your cognitive thinking and with a conviction in your spirit, then there's a problem. 
So we talked about the why, we talked about the Holy Spirit. Now, being led by the Spirit of God. Because when you're led by the Spirit of God, God helps, God moves, God anoints, God will work in and through your life. And you need to say, Lord, I rely on you for me to share the gospel with that person. It's not a chore, it's a privilege. It's not a compulsion, it's an honor. If Jesus Christ, the gospel is the good news, my goodness, we should be sharing about that. On your Facebook page, on your Instagram, on your Twitter, on your Be Real, that's a new one now. I don't know if you're catching up with all this, uh, what do you call, social media stuff. My daughter was challenging me, saying, Dad, why do you have Be Real? You are old. I said, Lord, forgive her. She goes, Dad, you shouldn't have be real. It's for young people. But I said, I'm being real. Anyway, but I'm saying it's a good news. So share the good news. Amen. Do you believe that the gospel is good news? Then how come we are afraid to share the good news? So here we are, I'm building up all this for uh, a story that I love. I talked about the why, a lot of scriptures. Then I gave you a lot of stories last week. But this week I want to emphasize on one story. One story. Powerful story. Read the Bible. He, Holy Spirit, will teach, equip, strengthen us. Read the word of God. My people perish for lack of knowledge. As if the pressure of the world has overcome us. My goodness, who cares when the world comes at us. When Goliath came at Israelites, David, a little lad, stood up and he said, Who are you? How dare you, uncircumcised Philistine, come against the name and the children of God. And he took the sling and it's called slingshot. Not the internet provider. In case you're wondering. See, this story is amazing, and I think if you read it, it teaches us to obey God and follow God and share the love of God, and God moves. It's in John chapter 4 and verse 1 to 42. I'm not going to take you through the entire story. That's why we encourage you, please join a connect group. If you say, I am busy, I'm telling you, you cannot be that busy for your spirit. Adjust your life. Your spirit is what you take to heaven. Not your bank account. Not your cars and your toys. It's your spirit. Connect in a connect group. It's safety. It's good to be together. Don't do life in isolation. Be together. Because in connect group, there's accountability, there's love, there's prayer. And if you're not part of a connect group, it's also very difficult for us to care for you pastorally. Connect group is not a social place. Amen. It's not, it's, it's, it's not just a social place. Anyway. So, I, sorry. John chapter 4, 1, 1 to 42. And there's a story here. But I want to give you a background and highlight a few scriptures this morning. It's a very uh, a significant story. It's a G, Jesus is having a conversation with a Samaritan woman. 
And, um, and there's a dialogue between Jesus and the Samaritan woman. Now, Jesus is a Jew, and this lady is a Samaritan woman. And just to give you a bit of context here, Samaritans were a mixed ethnic and uh, a, a mixed ethnic uh, religion, religious people. They were not Jew, but they practiced uh, elements of Judaism and worshipped Yahweh God along with other gods. So the Jews spitefully regarded the Samaritans as half-breeds. Now for you to understand, you need to really jump back into Genesis and to understand why there was a separation and a division between the Samaritans and the Jew. I don't have the time for it. I'm not teaching you history here. But to understand, I'm giving you a background so you can go home and dig it for yourself to understand the story. So, both Jews and the Samaritans were hostile towards each other, uh, each other's cultures and religion and the practices, and even to the point of the sites of worship. So, there's a bit of background there. So, it's not like Australia and New Zealand having a bit of a cultural and a bit of sports. No, no, it's much more than that. And so we jump into chapter 4 in John, and the scene is said where this, in Samaria, it's midday, Jesus is traveling, and now Jesus uh, is thirsty, and, um, and he's, he's thirsty, and he stops at this well. And unknown to many of the modern readers, what Jesus was doing is actually he was crossing a cultural line, he was crossing a religious line, he was crossing an ethnic line, he was crossing a gender line to have a conversation with this lady. And he was not afraid to cross these lines. Today, when we talk about the gospel, we are afraid to upset people. Uh, let me tell you, the gospel is the truth. Truth always hurts. Truth hurts. You come to my house. There's more hurting people. Why? Because the parents are always saying, do your homework, go to school, do the dishes, do your room, clean your room, vacuum this, vacuum the house. It hurts. You're being lazy. It hurts. But there's much more level of truth here. Truth always hurts. We'd rather be told that it's okay than to go, you can move from this place of mess. If I come and tell you, oh, it's okay what you're doing. Oh, fair enough. You got five kids or 20 kids and you got one. Oh, you work for fair enough, honey. Oh, fair enough. You can't do your dishes. Fair enough. You didn't have time to do your washing. It's like, oh, yes, you're right. There's a bit of entitlement culture creeping in. God is not about fair enough. God is about truth. So let's not give excuses of our behavior. It's getting quite hot in here, isn't it? Truth. It is direct truth. Let's not give uh, uh, excuses of our behavior, but let's pursue holiness. Anywho, let's come back to the word. So Jesus is crossing all these lines to reach out to this Samaritan woman. And there's an unexpected conversation that's happening. And you've got to understand this woman, she was quite well versed in the culture 
understood the social dynamics, understood, understood the spiritual dynamics, understood the, the gender dynamics, understood the cultural dynamics. So Jesus is having a very unexpected conversation with this lady. So I want to give you four points this morning. And I want to give you the work to do in your connect groups to discuss, to talk, to pray. But there are four points in this story that Jesus talks to this lady, Jew talking to a Samaritan. It's not, it's very uncommon for this to take place. He broke the barriers and he brought the gospel to her. So I want to share a few scriptures and talk to you, but I want to give you four points this morning. Okay, the first thing Jesus does is, number one point is identify. He identifies that this lady needs salvation. He identifies that this lady is broken. He identifies that she has a bit of truth, but not whole truth. He identifies that if he speaks to her, and if he touches her, and if he moves in her life, he identified that she can bring a whole town of Samaria to Jesus. He identified that she, her, him talking to her would mean that she's ready to receive the truth. And so I want to encourage us to identify people. Now, Jesus, of course, is always praying. But for us to identify, identify who is ready, who is God leading you to talk about Jesus Christ. Often there are some people that they're not ready and you go tell them and they're not ready. But if you go prepare and go, Lord, are they ready? And if God says they're ready, you identify you pray, you pray. That's why we're praying, we're praying, we're praying for these names. We are trying to say, God, we identify these people because we pray for these people. We want to see their hearts soften. We identify their weaknesses. We identify their, their shortcomings. But Lord, above all that, we also identify their potential. And God. The power that can flow through them. So identify who you need to go talk to. Jesus could, have, Jesus could have gone and talked to anybody. But he goes to Samaria and he identifies this lady and starts having a conversation. You see, often Jesus, because he moved with revelation. And when you identify, how do you identify? When you're praying, you identify that God is giving you a revelation about them individuals and then you identify and you start talking to them. Jesus when he did, he often did things in small things, small conversations, small lunch. He took five loaves of one boy's bread and lunch, one boy's and he multiplied. Jesus came as a small child, small conversation. Here is a small conversation but a small conversation became big. Do you see where I'm coming from? It often starts small. It often starts small. You can have sits with somebody over a coffee and talk about God. It, it, we make it such a big deal. It's not a big deal. It's actually not a big deal. We make it quite a big deal. So Jesus starts small. Number two, first is identified. Number two is initiate. Jesus 
initiates a conversation. So he's finding something common to talk about. It's fascinating. Do you know Jesus is God? He knew, he created her in his image. He, he was all-knowing, all-powerful, and all-present, or present everywhere. Okay? And he knew everything about her. But he's dialoguing. I think for readers, for he's doing that so that we can learn on how to make conversations with people of different backgrounds, different lives, different lifestyles, different uh, 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 ethnicities, whatever it is, whatever the cultural backgrounds are, we can have a conversation and learn from this scripture. So I want to throw some scriptures at us today, and it's in uh, John chapter 4, verse 6. Jesus, tired from a long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at, this, at the time because his disciples had gone into a village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Isn't that cool? He just asked one question and she asked, she gives him all these answers. He said, give me some water. And she goes, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. And you, why are you asking me? I'm a woman. Jews don't talk. And she's bringing all the cultural issues. But he created a conversation. He, try to get the point. He created a conversation. So you don't go asking people to make a conversation. Shohan, give me your watch. That's not creating conversation. That is killing a conversation. Yeah. So create a find what common thing and start creating a conversation because it's in the conversations that you can be led by the Spirit to share the love of God. So allow the conversation, and it's fascinating. Jesus identified and he initiated. He initiated this conversation with her. And then she says all these things. And it's, uh, as I said to you, often it's quite exciting when you allow the Holy Spirit to lead you and you, God speaks to you. And when you obey God and speak to people, He will start flowing through you. He will. God is not a liar. He is always with you. He will not abandon you. It's not like, go, 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 do it. Come on, I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you. Go, go, do it. And you finally do it and you're like, where is Jesus? He's all there. No, he's not like that. He's always with you. So here, he's talking to this lady. He's initiating a conversation. You know, you can initiate conversations with your neighbor about the fence. You can initiate conversation with your colleague about, I don't know where you work. Talk something. Start somewhere common. And then, I mean, we are all, as Kiwis, we are all so good at talking about sports and the weather. We are fantastic at that. We will talk to a stranger about the weather. G'day. Good day. Yeah, hi. Yeah, it is a good day. And we move on. We are good at initiating conversations, but our problem is we are not good 
at leading that conversation into something meaningful. Once the All Blacks plays, everybody straight after the church, we talk about the All Blacks. We talk about how they played, why they played, why they didn't do this, why they did that. And we give talking. It's good to do that, but that's not why, that's not the only conversation God wants us to have. I mean, the girls will go out into the cafe today and go, oh, last night, like re rehashing everything. Oh, last night was so good. Oh, yeah, you're right, so good. The food was delicious. Oh, yeah, it was so delicious. Oh, my goodness, the lights were amazing. Oh, yes. Oh, wow, that lady. Oh, yeah, I know. You know, they're rehashing it. It's funny conversations. It's like you're repeating what you just did. But why are you doing it? Because you like to talk. If you want to talk to Tom, he's a one-word answer guy. How are you going, Tom? Good. I'm just picking. He's going to talk more than that. He reckons he's old. So initiate a conversation, guys, but then take the conversation into something meaningful. Amen? Take it into meaningful conversations. Kara and I, it's funny, when we used to go buy coffee at one place before kids, one place, we always went there for coffee, and this girl always served us, and we always talked to her, and then um, we, we, were, we, were all, we actually asked her and her partner to come out for coffee with us. Why? We were wanting to take the conversation further. And it's funny, because Kara was pregnant, just to tell you a, bit, a quick story, Kara was pregnant with Silvana, and then we, we had Silvana, and then uh, Francie was looking after Silvana at home, and so this girl was talking to Kara up until the due date and going, oh, when are you expecting, blah, 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 all that conversation. And then Kara turns up without a baby and nothing to show. And this girl serving us, she was, didn't know what to ask. Whether did she have the baby? Was it a stillbirth? You know, she was thinking all the bad things. And so we broke the ice saying, oh, no, no, we did have a girl and she's at home with her grandmother. We're just having a break. Because it was hard work to have a child. Anywho, so initiate a conversation, identify, initiate, number three is impart. I think this is what you and I need to learn, is how do I impart life? I can talk about the food, I can talk about the weather, I can talk about the cricket or, 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 or rugby, whatever those things are, I can talk about work. How was it? Oh, but it's so busy, you're fair enough. We can talk on all those, but how do you impart life into people? And that's what I want to talk about. Jesus imparts in John 4, verse 10. I'm still sticking to the same story. John 4, verse 10. Jesus replied, If only, if you only knew the gift of God as for you, you, who you are, speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. What is he saying that? He asked for water. Now he's talking about living water. Do you see where I'm coming from? He's talked about natural water. Now he's talking about living water. And then in verse 13, it says, Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water, talking about the natural water, will soon become thirsty again. But anyone who drinks the water that I give shall never thirst, he says to her. And I, I love it. And he's now imparting life into her, imparting truth into her. And then he goes on a bit more deeper with her. And this is getting a bit uncomfortable right now. It's one thing to talk about water. It's another thing to talk about someone's private life. And Jesus talks, he goes, 
he goes to her, John verse, chapter 4, verse 4, 17. He says, where is your husband? Ooh, that's a bit no-no. Number one, you don't talk to a woman in the, in the context, in the culture. Now he's saying, not only talking to her, he's saying, where is your husband? Go, go bring your husband. She goes, I don't have a husband in, in verse 17. The woman replied, Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. And later on in the scriptures, he says, you don't even, you've been with five, five, you've had five husbands, and the one that you're living now is not even your husband. That means he's man six. Six. So she's been with six Samaritan men. That's a lot of men. And so he's getting quite private now. You see, when Jesus starts imparting, when Jesus is telling the truth, he's not trying to condemn, he's trying to convict. Ooh, it's gone dead silent here all of a sudden. You see, when Jesus speaks the truth, when he's touching on deeper issues, he's not talking about, he's not condemning, he's trying to convict. I love that about Jesus. He wasn't beating around the bush. He wasn't trying to um, massage the truth and mince the words. He's saying, hey, where's your husband? I don't have him. Yeah, you're right. You don't have a husband. And the one that you're with, he's not even your husband. But honey, let me tell you. And he carries on talking, but he's not actually condemning her. Isn't that good? He's not condemning her. He's, by the Holy Spirit, God wants to convict people. We want to tell people the truth, but we beat around the bush. There are a lot of us who want Jesus, but don't want to live the, don't want to give up on the life we're living. The habits we have. And you keep going, but I'm talking the gospel to him, but he doesn't seem to receive it. Why? Because you're not actually hitting the heart. So when we talk, impartation comes from the word of God. And as you move in the spirit, God is moving prophetically. The Holy Spirit, I love this about people. When you move in the prophetic, God fastens this whole journey. And, and instead of, I do this, this is one thing I do often. I don't want to hear from Ruth about Rami. I don't want to do that. That's exhausting. I'd rather pray and go, God, you tell me about Rami so I can tell her about herself. And then Rami goes, how do you know that? I said, because I'm praying for you, Rami. See, it fast tracks, prophetic fast tracks, cuts through a lot of nonsense and goes to the heart. And you can move in the prophetic too. How do you move in the prophetic? Pray, seek God, hear from God, exercise it. Pray, seek God, hear from God, exercise it. Tonight, 7 p.m., we've got Alec Larson, Pastor Alec Larson. He'll come, he'll move in the prophetic. And he actually does it. He said, Peter, I don't want you to talk to me about your congregation. I actually don't. He doesn't do coffee, he doesn't do lunch, which saves me money, which is good, you know. Uh, he doesn't do all that. He'll just come and he goes... He's, if you've seen him, you know, he's Freddie Flintstone, you know, he looks like that. Uh, but he'll come and start reading your mail. Silvana calls him the guy that comes and makes everyone cry. 
Is he the guy? I said, yes. The guy that comes and makes everyone cry. I said, yes. You know, but prophetic cuts through everything. I remember one of the young men uh, from our church, I uh, made him sit in my office. Uh, he came and he talked. Apparently, there's a saying, apparently, with the young people, that if you come to my office, you leave crying. And uh, not because I'm harsh, but I'm saying when I cry, I'm cry, when I make appointment, I'm praying because I want to meet them because they're just starting life. But they got already so much garbage in them. And I'm saying, let's get rid of the garbage. And so one young man was sitting in my office, and I, he was like being all smart with me, which was all cool. He was trying to be cool. I said, that's cool. And then I said, hey, I know what you did last, not summer, but last week. And he goes, what do you mean? So I told him in detail, I'm not talking about me, but I'm saying the prophetic moves. And I'm saying, I know what you did. And I explained where he was, what he did, why he did, how he did, what shirt he was wearing. And he was embarrassed. And he had his shirt covered his nose and laughing. And I'm going, why is he laughing? And he's laughing and laughing. And then he starts crying. He's crying. Because he goes, how do you know? Because I'm so ashamed of that. How do you know? I said, because I pray for you. I have a Jeremiah 33.3. Call unto me, ring, ring, and I will answer. Amen. You can move in the prophetic, guys. But problem with us is we notice, ooh, that lady is looking sad. Hey, did you see she's looking sad? I know, I know. I've been seeing it last two weeks. Why is she looking sad? I don't know. Oh, what? and then another, what are you talking about? Oh, we were just talking about that lady that's been looking sad. We are ch ch church people. Oh, I know, I noticed it too. Oh, and then someone, what, what's happening? Oh, this is happening. Oh, yeah, 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 someone else told me. Now all of a sudden, five people are talking about the problem, but nobody is willing to bring the promise of God. That's called impact. So Jesus is imparting, sorry, he's imparting. Where's your husband? I don't have. Verse 27, Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship. She was having a conversation about Jews, where Jews worship, where Samaritans worship. And Jesus is saying, it doesn't matter where you worship. He's saying it's not about the location. And he's not talking about Jerusalem. He's not talking about Samaria. And then he goes on to say in verse 22, you Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him. For salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming. Indeed, it is here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And the Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. This is in the context of locations. A lot of worship leaders use John 4.24 for worship, but I'm saying it's in the context of it. And he's saying that you will one day worship in truth and in spirit. And verse 24, for God is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And then John 26, chapter 4, verse 26, he says, and Jesus told her, and then he introduces himself, I am the Messiah. He says, I am the Messiah. 
because she asks questions. I want you to read it in your connect groups and in your own private time. But she's asking, but who are you? And he, But he's, isn't that about the Messiah? And he goes, I am the Messiah. It started, the conversation started with a glass of water. Amen, Abigail. It started with a glass of water. Ended up saying, I am the Messiah. He's imparting the truth. And truth sets people free. And verse 34, Jesus explained. I love this here. This, is, this part here is, I wrote that down. It's not necessarily part of this. I, I want to encourage you, some of you here, this verse. There's a lot of people that are struggling and doing a lot of life and looking for true fulfillment. You see, when the disciples arrived, they saw Jesus was hungry and they wanted to get him some food. And Jesus says, look, I don't want food. And this is his reply in verse 34. He says, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. What he's talking about is, you know, my true nourishment does not come from eating good food. My true nourishment doesn't come for, by having a successful career. My nourishment, my true fulfillment doesn't come from depending on what restaurant I eat food at. My true nourishment comes when I do the will of the Father. It's not how much I earn. It's not what I weigh. It's not where I live. It's not what I drive. My true fulfillment in life, my true meaning and purpose in my life comes when I do the will of my Father. Today, a lot of Christians, we are doing so many things, but none of those things matter to God that much. So he's saying, my true nourishment comes. Look, if you're struggling, if you feel my life, I'm not fulfilled in my life, because you're either running away from the will of God, or you're either fighting the will of God, or you are either just absolutely ignorant about the will of God. But when you find the will of God and when you fulfill the will of God, you will find your full, true fulfillment. I just wanted to add that in there. That was very, very important. Number four, and I'm going to close, is impact. Number one was identi identify. Number two is initiate. Number three is impart. And number four is impact. All these things is what Jesus did. It all started with a cup of water. Can you give me some water? And I, sometimes when I read it, I think Jesus is like Indian. You know, Indians start with the small and they sell you the whole thing. And if you've ever been to India, they'll try to sell you everything. You know, but it starts with a glass of water. But look at this in John chapter 4, verse 39. It's impact. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said. Look at this. The woman goes out. I mean, if I was that lady, I wouldn't be going... Hey guys, hey guys, guess what? Guess what, Samaritan church. Oh, not church, but people. This guy told me all my sins. He wouldn't, do you get what I'm saying? I wouldn't be going out saying, guess what? He told me everything I've done wrong. He's told me everything I've done wrong. But that's what she's saying. She's going, he told me everything I ever did. Everything I ever did. That means she never cared about. See, her self-consciousness is lost and she's become God-conscious. 
that self-consciousness, self-guilt is gone. She's realized that, look, I don't have any shame anymore. I don't have any shame anymore. I'm set free from shame. And, and can I say this? That when you talk about shame and moving in the word of God, where there is shame, you cannot minister. If you're shameful in one thing, you cannot talk about that. Amen. That's why a lot of us keep secrets. Why we're shameful. Secrets are heavy burdens. They weigh us down. They kill us. We, you know, we, we say we are redeemed, but we are ashamed of to talk about what happened. Why are we ashamed if God has redeemed us? Come on. I'm not ashamed of what I did in the past. Why? I can still remember them, but it does not sting me anymore. Because the sting was broken. On the cross, I have no shame. Because I don't have shame, I talk freely. I talk to the young people about sex. I talk to them about pornography. I talk to them about every filth you talk about. I talk to them. I talk to them about marriage. I talk to people about God. I talk to them money, about how to handle money, how to tithe. Why? I have no shame. I'm set free. And if we don't talk in church about these things, they will go out and they don't know how and they'll get the world say them, it's okay, everybody is doing it. Not everybody is doing it. I will show you many people who don't do it. It's the problem is you've just been conditioned that everybody is doing it. Divorce, it's like, oh, yeah, divorce. Come on, fight for your marriage. Fight for your marriage. Clear everything and stick to your marriage. Strive for your marriage. And if you don't have love for Jesus, get love for Jesus. Get on your knees. Fast. Pray. Get serious with God. Amen. So wherever, when God wants you to minister, he, you cannot minister when you still have association with shame. I can't minister if shame is still involved. Guilt is still involved. And then someone else comes telling you what, what, what it's about. And you start feeling guilty and you feel sick in your stomach because, oh, that hurts because it's true. And you're squirming inside. And the only thing we are good at is attack that person and walk away. But the truth is, when shame is we set free from shame, we can just like this lady go and say, guess what? He told me everything I ever did. Oh, but I'm free. And guess what? Because I'm free, I'm not condemned anymore. I'm convinced, I'm convicted, and he's convicted me, he's cleansed me, he's healed me, and I'm transformed. I want to tell you, the same God can do that for you if you believe in him. That's the truth of this story. Verse 40, and says, when they came out to see him, I love this, Samaritans came out to see him, a Jew, and they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for another couple of days, long enough for many to hear this, his message and believe. How did that happen? Because they came out to see him. We're starting a series next Sunday calling, Come and See. It takes a Samaritan woman, come and see. Amen. It takes you to save your friend. God wants to partner with you. 
But if you keep looking at yourself and limiting yourself, you cannot allow the power of God flow through you. And in verse 42, then they said to the woman, I love this part. They said to the woman, now we believe not just because what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Isn't that good? I don't come to church because you dragged me, mom. I come to church because I know he's my savior. I don't read the word because it's good for me. I read the word because it's nourishment for me. I go here to pray with these people, not because I have to, but because I want to. It's not a duty, it's a desire. Amen. It's not a chore anymore. It's like, oh, you're giving all day, all Sunday to church. It's a bit too much. It is better is one day in the courts than thousand elsewhere. Joshua said, as for me and my house, we serve God. Why am I saying all this? Guys, I'm saying when we are set free from shame, we have this boldness in us to talk about Jesus Christ. To talk about the areas of sex. To talk about the area of sin. To talk the area about money. To talk the area about any filth you can talk about. Why? Because we are redeemed people. Amen. Thank you. So we, we set free people. Ooh, I love it when they said, now we believe not just because of what you told us, because we heard him ourselves, and now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. Now we know indeed he's the savior of the world. A whole town came to Jesus because of a glass of water. Isn't that interesting? See how God did it? There was no crusades, there were no handbills, there were no uh, prayer walks, there were no prayer chains, there was no uh, fundraising, none of that. It starts at a glass of water. Marcella, you could sit with somebody, your colleague, and say, hey, let's go for a coffee. It starts with $4.50. That's a medium, not large. That's more expensive, just to let you know. It starts with a coffee. It starts with that meal. Nelikshan, you can say to your colleague and say, hey, let's go for a lunch. And it starts with there. You could say, hey, guys, come over for a dinner. It starts with dinner. That's all it takes. It's a small conversation. My goodness, if one person is saved, the whole household will be saved. One lady got saved, the whole village got saved. Identify, initiate, impart, and See the impact. Amen? And I want to say this. The power is not in us. The power is Jesus. Who is in us. So you never lack power. It's just that you're not praying enough, seeking God enough. So keep your eyes on God as I conclude. Jesus made himself known and made himself available to that Samaritan woman. And this is not just a good story. Jesus has also made himself known to us so that we can make him known to others. We have a job to do. 
The power is in the gospel. Jesus desires we partner with him and be led by the prophetic anointing. And Jesus said, I will be with you always. Brittany, I believe Jesus is saying to you that he is with you. He is with you on the mountaintop. He is with you in the valley. And because he is with you, Brittany, he is saying, now go. I gave birth to you, breathed my breath into you. I fashioned you, created you in my image and my likeness and I breathe my gifts into you. And the reason you, you, were, you were created is for my pleasure. So stop looking at yourself in the mirror and start looking at yourself in the mirror of the Word. That's where your identity is. That's where your redemption is. That's where your favor is. That's where your security is. And when you know these things because you've looked at yourself in the mirror of the Word of God, Brenny, now you will walk out. Now you will go because He is with you. God doesn't want us to go around the bush 40 years. Let's not waste time. Let's not waste time by going around 40 years. And I'm saying to us today, we have a choice. We have a choice. He said, go, but I am with you. Go, for I am with you. That means take my light, take my joy, take my peace, take my comfort, take me with you into Shohan's house. Hallelujah. For when I enter into Shohan's house, I'm taking Jesus with me. And when I'm going with Jesus, I bring peace into that house. It's not me. It's Christ in me. When I go into the mall, He is with me. When I go to work, that many dread, He is with me. When you go see your family member that you've been avoiding for 20 years, He is with you. When you need to sit down and have a conversation with your sibling about Jesus, your parents about Jesus, about you, uh, 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 to your children about Jesus, He is with you. So can we stand to our feet? Can we, this morning... I don't want us to come forward to pray. I'm just saying, can we open our hearts to Jesus and to God? <laughs> I recognize the power is in the Word. I want to partner with you and be led by your Spirit. 
And not just that, but when I go, you are with me. So this morning, I open my heart to you, God. Like Isaiah said, here I am, send me. This morning, we make ourselves available to you. God, use us. Like that Samaritan woman. No shame in us. That we're going to go tell the town, the village, the city, that Jesus is here. The Messiah is here. Come and see. We have found the Messiah.